So we're looking at Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, the Bible says, uh, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we talk about it further. Heavenly Father, we come, uh, we come tonight and, and really we are always before your throne. We are before the throne of the holy God above. And so we come, Father, uh, knowing that, that we need to hear from you, uh, and we come asking, uh, also knowing that in and of ourselves, uh, our hearts are closed to you, and so we need you to work. So Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would actually be here tonight. You would open our ears to hear your word, to see you and your grace and your mercy towards us in Christ, and we ask it in his name, amen. All right, it's probably safe to say that no matter what you did this weekend, uh, you did not have a weekend like Paul Jesperson. Uh, some of you might already know who Paul Jesperson is. If you don't, he plays, or actually I guess now played, basketball for the University of Northern Iowa. Uh, and they were in the NCAA tournament this weekend. You all familiar with this? Uh, on Friday night, Friday night they were playing in the first round, they were playing Texas. And he hit a half-court shot. Texas tied it up with sort of a last-second basket. And he hit a half-court shot to win the game. They were, what, 11 seed, I think. And so, I mean, the highest of highs. Buzzer beater in the NCAA tournament, not expected to advance, and they do. And so then they go on to play uh, Texas A&M. And so, uh, actually, no, Texas A&M was the sixth seed. Uh, And so... They're playing Texas A&M Sunday night, and they're up by, they, they outplay them the whole game. They're up by 12 points with 44 seconds left, and they lost. Now, what you need to know is that no team ever, not just in the tournament, but ever, ever in college basketball history has ever lost after being up by 12 with a minute or less left on the clock. And they managed to do it. The lowest of the low, you, you can imagine. It's one of the, 
It's one of the worst defeats in sports history. And do you know, so that was Sunday night, and that was somewhat late. You know, the game finished at, what, 9 or 10 o'clock? Do you know where he was Monday morning? In class. He went to class on Monday morning. No telling what time he got back to his, you know, school and got in bed. But he went to class on Monday morning. Now, here's why. I would not have gone to class, but here's why he said he went to class. He said that he didn't want to cower in his room and not sort of face the world. He said he figured, you know, the, the sooner I get out there and kind of see people and face people, we'll just kind of get through this. And he said what he found was that, that the entire UNI community uh, really rallied around him and the team. And he said the, the interview that I heard, the, the guy asked him, you know, did, did anybody, you know, say stuff to you, kind of give you a hard time? And he said, Not, nobody. He said it was amazing. Everybody came up to me and, and, and really just said how proud they were of us and the team and uh, just how great it was, how far we advanced. And he said it was just really encouraging. And he said it's, it's amazing how that, that has, he said he was so grateful for it. It was amazing how that helped him. You know, in the, in the lowest point of his life, the lowest point of his life, he was surrounded by his people and he found great joy in that. They cared about him and they rallied around him and they were with him. And that, if, if you'll allow me this, that really is what Paul's talking about in this passage. Uh, that, that we as the church or, or believers can find real joy in each other. That's our, uh, that's our title for the, the theme for the night. Joy in each other. Or, or we could say joy in fellowship. You know, if, you're, if you've been with us, you know that we're studying through uh, Philippians. This letter that Paul has written to this church that he planted. And it's a letter that's filled with joy. He's writing to them, even though he, he's writing it from prison. He's writing this letter and he's telling these people... All about the joy that he has in Christ. And he's writing to them to tell them all about the joy that, that, uh, that they can have in Christ, even though things aren't the way they want them to be. And so our theme this semester is, is real joy in the midst of real life. And so tonight we see that Paul, I think, essentially tells us that we can find joy in each other. Joy in fellowship. And I want to look at that in three ways. Uh, we'll see that Paul tells us about having joy in each other by, number one, seeing Jesus at work in each other. Number two, caring for each other. And thirdly, in being present with one another. All right, so first, uh, we're going to see that we can find real joy in each other as we, as we see Jesus at work in each other. All right, we're looking at, at verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. All right, look, let's take a little step, step back and remember uh, the, the whole context of what's going on here. So Paul planted this church probably about 20 years before this letter was written. He's the church planner, and he has a unique connection to this church. He, he loves this church in a unique way. Uh, but now... He's in jail in Rome, about 800 miles away. 
He's in jail because he's been preaching the gospel. And so these Philippians are now worried about Paul. They're worried about their church planner. And so they send one of their leaders, a guy named Epaphroditus, who shows up in the passage. They send Epaphroditus to go uh, and take gifts to Paul, supplies, to take care of him and to be with him, to minister to him. Now, in the meantime, Epaphroditus gets sick, gets really sick, and almost dies. And so, uh, but he eventually gets better. So Paul sends him back to the Philippians with this letter. And so now they're hearing this letter, and they're hearing how Paul is doing. Right? That was their main concern. Send Epaphroditus, find out how Paul is, and, and take care of him. We're concerned about him. And so now they're hearing back. And that's what we've talked about, really, the, you know, the first several weeks. How's Paul doing? Even though he's sitting in prison, even though that's no fun, right? He's suffering. It's miserable. He's actually joyful because he's seen that God is actually in, at work, even in his imprisonment. That God's using it for good purposes to advance his kingdom. So the Philippians basically hear that that Paul, that God is working in Paul and he has this great God-centered, uh, Jesus-trusting perspective on everything. And they're encouraged by that. They're really encouraged to hear that Paul is, is that God's at work in Paul in that way. It gives, them, it gives them strength. It cheers them up. That seems to be what's going on in verse 19 uh, when Paul says, we should probably put the word, to and you in italics, so that when he says, so that I too may be uh, cheered by news of you. In other words, he's assuming you're going to be cheered by this news of me. And then Paul goes on to say that he plans to send Timothy a little later, and Timothy's going to evidently make a round trip. He's going to go to uh, Philippi so that he could bring, uh, and then bring back word to Paul about how the Philippians are doing. And Paul assumes that he's going to get a good report, that Jesus is going to, is at work in their lives, and he's going to hear about it, and, and that's going to help him. It's going to encourage him, and he says, cheer him up. Right. So how so? I mean, you can, can't you imagine Paul sitting in prison because he's preaching the gospel, what God wants him to do, but now he's in prison. But then you, then you get word back, How's it going with the church, one of the churches that I've planted? And you hear that they're growing. That you hear that that gospel, that, you know, maybe, I, I don't think we get this picture at all, but you could imagine maybe, maybe Paul was beginning to wonder, like, is this really worth it? And then you get word that the gospel really is changing people's lives. That they really are growing. Jesus is really doing something in people. You can imagine what an encouragement it would be. I thought about it like this. You know, imagine if you had some sort of incurable disease. And then you heard about a new drug that was coming out. And it was going to treat it. And it made great claims about it. And then you got to meet with some of the people that were involved in the clinical trials. The people that have that, have that disease also and they try out this drug. And, and you talk to them. And they tell you all about how it's working. Right? You can imagine how encouraging, how much joy you would find in that. Right? I think it would track along two lines. Uh, first, you, 
you would, be, uh, you would find joy in the fact that you can identify with them in their pain. They have this disease. And, and this drug is making it better. People are getting well. And certainly that, that brings joy to see people get better. But also it brings hope for you, right? You would think that it's working in them, it's going to work in me. And so in the same way, you and I can find joy in our, in our fellowship with each other when we see Jesus at work in each other. So that means that if, if you're a believer, you need to be in the midst of other believers. Right? That, that's implicit. That you need to involve, that means you, that you have to, you're called to involve yourself in the lives of other Christians. Intentionally. Move into other people's lives. But what an encouragement it could be to see to see Jesus at work. To see people that you know actually becoming kinder. To see people that you know uh, that you know by nature are not giving people and to see them grow in that. To see them begin to, to give their money, their time, whatever. To see people begin to be quick to repent, be quick to forgive one another. What an encouragement it would be. Right? It'd be an encouragement to look around and to see that it's just a little evidence that sin and evil really is not going to win in the end. A little evidence that what Jesus claims is true really is true. He really does change people's lives. He pushes the curse back in people's lives. Yeah, Jesus really is at work. And, you know, you need some evidence of good things, right? If you watch the news, you know, what, the news is nothing but negative, right? So as we involve ourselves in the lives of other people, we get glimpses of good news, of Jesus actually being at work. And it, it should bring encouragement and joy into our own hearts as well. Because, look, here's the thing. They're not, those people that you see Jesus at work in, they're not any different than you. In other words, if, if you're like me, I think I default when I see God doing something great in somebody's life. My tendency is to think something like either one. Well, why isn't he doing that in my life? What am I doing wrong? Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Maybe he's, God sort of loves him a little bit more. But Paul in the Philippians, I think Paul in the Philippians that would say, no, it's exactly the opposite. That it should encourage us. It should bring us joy. Because they're just like we are. God's at work in them and he will be at work in our lives. So we see Jesus, uh, we see that there can be joy in fellowship with one another as we see Jesus at work in each other, in our lives. But secondly, I want us to see that, that we can find joy in our fellowship with one another as believers uh, as we care for one another. As we yeah, as we care for each other deeply. And, and this is probably the central idea of this passage. It's kind of a tough passage uh, to, to really get, uh, get a handle on, I think. But, but basically the idea that, that true fellowship is centered around or founded on the idea of believers caring deeply for one another. In fact, caring so deeply for one another that they put the interest of other people before their own. And now, if that, if that sounds familiar to you, 
Uh, that's because that's basically what Paul's been talking about for all of chapter 2. And now you might be wondering, sort of, like, if, just if you read that passage, like, what in the world is this about? Why did Paul put this here? Why does he just sort of tell us about Timothy and Epaphroditus' travel plans kind of in the middle of this letter? Well, what he seems to be doing, most commentators agree, and it, it certainly seems to make sense. He's basically holding these two guys up as an example of, of what he's been talking about. Right? If you've, uh, if, you, if you've been with us, you know that Paul basically says you need to be unified. If you're a believer, you need to be together, be uh, unified together. He said to do that, you have to be humble. You have to consider other people more significant than yourself. And then you remember he gives the pattern of that, which is Jesus Christ, right? Who left the glory of heaven and humbled himself, uh, obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then he called us, he called us to obedience, right? And he said, work out your salvation. And now it seems like he's holding up Timothy and Epaphroditus and saying, these guys are great examples of what it looks like to be humble, to consider other people more important than yourself. And what you see is that that these two guys care very deeply about other believers and other people. Notice what he says about Timothy in 20 through 21. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest. Who are the other people? We're not completely sure, but uh, it seems that he's talking about other Christians. Uh, They all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. He basically tells him, look, I'm going to send Timothy, and you need, to, you need to watch Timothy. You need to be around Timothy. Because Timothy is going to care, he is going to genuinely care about you. And that's going to be good for you, and you need to watch him. And you need to emulate him. Be like him as he is like Jesus. He's going to care about your interests more than his. And then he holds up Epaphroditus to him, and, and, who displays the same thing. Right? Think about this. This is a guy that cared so much about his brothers and sisters in this church and for Paul that he's willing to make this journey, this 800-mile trip. He's willing to risk his life to, to minister to Paul on behalf of this church. And then, uh, wait, where, do, where are we in the notes? Let's find that. Right. Uh, and then he hears that he realizes that the people back home, his church, has found out that he's sick. And they're worried about him. And then when he realizes they're worried about him, he is so deeply distressed about their worry, he basically outworries them. So much so that Paul says, you, you need to go back for their sake, to be a joy to them. That The word there for distressed, it's used Twice, two other times in the New Testament about the same thing. And it's describing Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion. Right? When he sweated drops of blood, he was so distressed. Epaphroditus cared deeply for his brothers and sisters in this church. And so Paul's, Paul's showing us that there's great joy to be found uh, in in fellowship with one another as we care deeply for each other, as we put other people first. And now look, we have to stop here and say something extremely important. That we have to remember, or maybe here for the first time, that this comes in a context. 
it comes in the context of the gospel, right? So in other words, Paul is not saying, Paul is not saying that if you love one another, if you put other people before yourself, then you can be a Christian. Then God will love you. He's saying really exactly the opposite, right? If you read, read this in context, Paul has told us all about the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, how he saved us by grace. Nothing that we did. And it's in light of that that he says, because Jesus has loved you and considered you more important than himself, you do the same thing. And so you've got, we've got to keep that in mind. Paul calls, let's say it this way, Paul calls believers to put others ahead of themselves and to care deeply about each other. You know, maybe you've heard of the I'm third idea. I think uh, Canacuck traffics in this motto a lot. I don't know if it's originally theirs or what, but um, it's, it's this idea that uh, believers are supposed to basically uh, put God first and other people second and therefore I'm third. And I think that's basically what Paul's saying. It's basically what he's saying. One of the stories that you'll hear about that uh, is, gosh, we run through it really fast, that it's this dramatic story, true story, of a guy named Johnny Ferrier, who was a pilot. And in 1958, I think, he was flying in an air show, and his plane, as they did this maneuver, his plane went out of control. And he's spiraling off, and he's heading basically straight for this little small town. And his pilot buddies are telling him to, you know, eject or whatever, you know, get out of there. And he can't reach the microphone button because he's got both hands on his, you know, control stick. Uh, And so he can't reach the mic button, but he can basically, uh, you know, send out puffs of smoke. And so he, I guess, Morse code communicated to them, I can't. I've got to... I've got to guide this plane down. And evidently, he put this plane down in this neighborhood, like right in the middle of four houses. Basically, in the only spot where you could put it down and not hurt anybody else on the ground. And one of the people on the ground, you know, standing there watching the air show off in the distance, and all of a sudden it comes very close to them, said that they basically made eye contact with him and got the, basically got the impression that he was consciously going to run this in the ground to save them. And apparently, you know, several days later, as his wife is cleaning out his things, she finds this card in his wallet that says, I'm third. So by all accounts, seems to be a guy that that very dramatically lived that out. So much so that he he put other people before himself and and really gave his life for it. And now look, that's a a really dramatic story. So what does it look like for us? Because it's probably not going to look like running, like literally running your plane in the ground. So what does it look like for me and you? How do we apply this? Well, first, I want to say this. If you're, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, or if you're a believer, but you're not in a Christian community, then I just want to ask you this. Does this sound attractive to you? 
Doesn't that sound good? To be in the midst of a community of people that care very deeply about one another. A community of people that, that strives to put you first. That really cares more about you than themselves. Does it, does it at least make you interested to find out more? I can remember when I was thinking about switching, boy, talk about like big conversions in life. This is one. Thinking about switching from you know, my uh, Dell computer and making the move to Apple, to Mac. Glad that happened. And one of the things that pushed me over the edge was I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, look, I'll tell you two things about it, about Apple. He said, number one, they just work. <laughs> he said, number two, when they, on the rare occasion they don't work, if you have to call tech support, he said, which I've done, he said, they come across, they seem to care more about the fact that my computer is broken. They seem more worried about it than I am. And he's like, it was awesome. And so hearing that, I thought, yeah, I want that, right? Well, what, what about all of life? Does it sound good to you? Now look, no church is perfect. No Christian community is perfect, far from it. Uh, but... But does it at least intrigue you? So I'd invite you to check it out. Secondly, if you are a believer, then really the same question. Doesn't that sound exciting? Doesn't that sound... Don't you want to be a part and strive to be a community of people that cares deeply about each other? Wouldn't it be great to work at caring more about other people than yourself? Like I said, it may not look like flying your plane in the ground, but it might look like it might look like actually listening to people. And hearing, listening to them and hearing about what makes them sad. What they care about. Pursuing other people. It might look like giving up something that you value, like your uh, study time. Or uh, some of your money. For somebody else's sake. To help somebody else. It might look like not stealing center stage in your group of friends uh, every time so that somebody else can have it. I don't know. It might, look like, it might look like taking it on the chin from your roommate a little bit, uh, even though you, you, you probably shouldn't have to, just for the sake of the relationship. It might look like bearing with, uh, with wrong being done to you just, just to continue a relationship. It might look like something like that. To, to put other people first. Alright. So we've seen that there's joy in our fellowship as we care for one another deeply. It's what we're called to and there's joy in it. So thirdly and finally, uh, there's joy in our fellowship in, in being present with each other. Being present with each other. And this one I... I don't know, I was, I was sort of fascinated to see this in the text. Uh, it, it seems to continually pop up in this passage, this idea of just being with each other, right? You see it all, there just seems to be something powerful about simply being with each other. Believers being together that can bring real joy. It's all through the passage. Look, Paul, Paul, yeah, Paul is greatly ministered to by Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's the Apostle Paul. He saw Jesus face to face. 
He was not just indwelled by the Holy Spirit like any Christian is, which is mind-blowing. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write large portions of the Bible. He's the Apostle Paul, and yet he needed people to be with him. When he's sitting in prison, it, it ministered to him greatly to have Epaphroditus and Timothy just come be there. Uh, where else do we see it? Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, verse 27, it says that um, when he's talking about how God healed Epaphroditus, that he was merc- God was merciful to Epaphroditus, and he says, and to me. God saving Epaphroditus was mercy to Paul. He said, lest I have sorrow upon even more sorrow. He needed him there. Um, Epaphroditus was willing to take his 800 mile trip, probably took him about a month just to be with Paul. Timothy willing to make the round trip. Uh, And then even Paul says he's looking forward himself to being with them. And then most notably, verse 28, Paul says that he knows that it's going to bring the Philippians great joy to see Epaphroditus. Just to be there. Just think about that. Just think about how awesome that scene would have been. Right? When when Epaphroditus and whatever his friends called him, because they certainly couldn't have said that every time. um, When E walks in and they see him for the first time. He's been gone a long time. They thought he might die. And here he is. Right? They they were thrilled to see him. It'd be like the the soldier videos you see on, you know, Facebook or whatever, right? That, you know, I mean, I don't cry. I can't watch them anymore because it's just too much. Right? But, you know, the soldiers come home and, and their family sees them. Gosh, I can't even talk about it without getting choked up. <laughs> and they're thrilled. Why? Because there's just something awesome. There's something powerful about being there. And so think about what it communicated to Epaphroditus. Right? If somebody's thrilled to see you, what does it communicate? You are valuable. You matter to me a lot. You're special. There's just something powerful about being present with each other. Uh, a guy that I used to work with, a pastor that I sort of used to work for, he told me about a friend of his uh, whose wife had died uh, at a, at a you know, really young age. And so as, as he's dealing with the death of his wife, uh, you know, in, in those, like immediately thereafter, you know, just being at home and then the visitations and, uh, you know, the funerals and things like that, he said that his best friend... He said, the, basically, the one thing that got him through it was his best friend. He said he came, and he just was there. He said he didn't really say much. He didn't really do anything. He just, he just leaned against the wall and drank coffee. And he said, it meant the world to him. Just him being there. Being present. So that you can see there's great joy in just being present with each other. And look, I realize that that's somewhat vague, right? Like, I can't even put my fingers around it. But there's just something powerful about it. In believers being together. And so look, real quick, a few applications. Um, Now look, yeah, let me say this. Christian community is, is going to mean, it, it certainly means a lot more than just being pr- like in the same room. But it doesn't mean less. It at least means that. 
So I got three big applications. One, I think it means that we need to put ourselves in places where you will be with other believers. We've kind of said this, but put yourself in positions where you can be present with other believers. Uh, I.e., involve yourself in the life of a church, and by extension, involve yourself, hopefully you'll find a a home here. Whether you're Christian or not. Um, But, it was a bug. But if you're a believer, especially, involve yourself in the lives of other people. Put yourself, uh, put yourself in a position like that. Um, and now look, yeah, so if you're lonely, if you're lonely, put yourself in that position, right? It, with a church, right here with RUF. And now look, I get it. Don't hear me saying like, look, if you're lonely, it's as simple as that, just show up. It, it's, it's a whole lot more than that. But it's a start, and we want you to do that here. Now, secondly, work to be present for other people. Work to be present for other people. Seek out the lonely people. Work to find the people that need people to be with them. Especially people that are hurting. People that are sick. People that are the the outcast, on the fringe, the poor. People that are sad. Visit people in the hospital, the nursing home, you know, whatever it might look like. It it, It really might even look like just welcoming people. Hey, we're glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, third, final application. Work to be present when you're present with people. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, uh, unfortunately, like Amy can tell me sometimes, like put, put the phone up. You're, you're with us, like, you're, you know, I'm playing with the kids, but, you know, and I'm sending the text. Like, you're, you're here, but you're not here. Be present with people when you're present with them. Take the earbuds out. Um, Yeah, listen to people for what they're saying and not just to figure out what you're supposed to say next. But be present with them. And so look, I just want to end with this thought. What if RUF looked like that? I think it does. But, But what if even more so RUF was a place... Where we, where we saw and we shared how Jesus is at work in each other. And, and that we, we cared deeply about each other. And that we're actually with each other. Wouldn't that be beautiful? So how would, how, what would make that happen? Look, the only thing that will make that happen inside of us as individuals or inside of us as a group is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the gospel that, look, that even though you and I, no matter who you are, we are awful people in and of ourselves. We are awful people. But that God has cared so deeply for us that he's worked throughout history to be present with us. Right in the Old Testament, what did it look like? He was present with his people uh, in the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And it, it lived in the middle, you know, in, uh, when they're wandering through the desert, he would camp the Ark of the Covenant would be in a tent right in the middle of the camp. And then they get established in the, in the promised land, and then it's in the temple. And then in the New Testament, we see Jesus comes. And who is he? He's Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. And then he goes to the cross, and he dies in our place. 
And it's on the cross that Jesus experiences the ultimate abandonment. He experiences ultimately the ultimate God not with us. Right? When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? What's happening is he's taking what we deserve. Also, that he can, in the end, be with us. Right? He indwells his people. He doesn't just come and live here with us, but he lives inside of his people. And the New Testament even says that together we are what? The temple of God. So that we can be with him forever. And look, it's only that good news that will change you. And it's only that good news that will change a group and empower us to find joy in each other. And that's the good news that's held out to you tonight. And I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much that you would experience that ultimate abandonment because you care so much for us and that you would want to be with us. Lord Jesus, I pray that 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 would be true of everyone in this room. And if it's not, would you please make it so? And we ask it in your name. Amen.